Hello, this is Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation. The conversation you are about to hear was recorded prior to the events that transpired at the United States Capitol building on January 6, 2021. Events that would have certainly impacted the discussion you're about to hear. Although this recording predates those events, the collateral effects they will have on the presidential transition remain to be seen. I'm Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation, and this is Space for You, a podcast series brought to you by the Space Foundation that captures the amazing people who make our adventures in space possible. If you've been a regular listener to Space for You, you know that we often talk with engineers, entrepreneurs, reporters, project leaders, and other creative people who work on the various systems, programs, and capabilities that make space technology and exploration possible. We're going to continue that tradition today, but touch on something that many people may see as closer to the ground here on planet Earth. Our topic today is presidential transition. And while Space for You is not a political podcast, there's no shouting and name calling here. It is a topic that is front and center of what's happening in America today. We are literally transitioning from one presidential administration to another. As one president prepares to leave the Oval Office at the end of their term, Another is preparing for the duties of that office. And when you become president of the United States, that takes a lot of preparation. That preparation happens in what's called the presidential transition. And it covers everything from foreign and domestic policy and operations and everything in between. And that includes space. Today, Space for You is privileged to welcome two veterans of presidential transitions, as well as presidential administrations to share their experiences. They cover both Republican and Democratic administrations, so we have a balanced perspective to share with you. So it's my pleasure to welcome to Space for You, Lori Garver, who previously served as NASA's Deputy Administrator during the Obama administration from 2009 to 2013, as well as the Clinton administration, where she served as the Assistant Administrator for the Office of Policy and Plans. At the latter half of 2008 and into early 2009, Ms. Garver served as the lead for the Obama Presidential Transition Agency Review Team for NASA. She's a veteran of Capitol Hill, the commercial space industry, various campaigns, and advisor to numerous groups and organizations, including the Brooke Owens Fellowship, which she founded in 2016 to improve the diversity of the aviation and space exploration communities for college undergraduate women. Joining Lori is Courtney Stad who previously served as NASA's Chief of Staff and White House Liaison during the George W. Bush administration. He's also a veteran of the Reagan administration and the George H.W. Bush administration, where he served at the National Space Council and later NASA, where he championed commercial space initiatives and policies. He too is a veteran of the commercial space industry, having been an entrepreneur, business development officer, and program leader for several commercial space enterprises. He's also advised a number of space organizations on policies and programs to advance commercial space opportunities. And at the latter half of 2000 and into 2001, he served as the lead for the Bush Presidential Transition Agency Review Team for NASA. Lori and Courtney, it's a pleasure to welcome you both to Space for You. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you, Rich. Courtney, I'm going to begin with you. What defines how a transition is to operate? 
Is this shaped by law and regulation? Up until about 1963-64, this may surprise your listeners, it was pretty much an ad hoc situation. Uh, by and large, the major party of the winning candidate uh, would pay for transition-related costs, and often the candidate um, himself would pay. John F. Kennedy, for instance, during his transition, the Democratic Party paid for part, and he paid for some of it out of his own pocket for what I think was about $300,000, which I believe is about $2.5 million in today's uh, dollars. Finally, in 63, uh, the Congress came up with a uh, formalized statute, the Transition Act, referred to as the Presidential Transition Act of 1963, and for the first time provided um, monies, office space, and other authorities for the incoming candidate and his team to formally establish um, the process uh, for taking over this massive thing called the United States uh, government. But it's only been 57 years since those authorities were, were put in place. Lori, when you took over as a transition team leader going from the George W. Bush administration to the Obama administration, can you explain to us what a transition team does, who's on it, and what do they do? Sure. As Courtney stated, it has its roots in this act from the 60s, but I would say sort of each four or eight years, especially during changeover transition period, it's different. It has evolved. And I know from serving on the outgoing team, which I'm sure Courtney and I will be discussing, because as I was leaving the Clinton administration, he was coming in the Bush administration. But on the incoming Obama transition team, that was quite a bit different, for instance. And it this time, I think, is also evolved. And, of course, the last administration, the Trump administration, we all know is quite different. In our case in 2008, I had been asked in July to lead the transition team. It's something that you keep to yourself and quietly begin planning your work. There are meetings, in that case, before COVID, in advance of the team leads, and you are asked to get your team together. The focus of what we are asked to do on the agency landing teams is gather information about what is happening at the agency. The agency review team is just that. And I think that's why this administration incoming is particularly focused on calling them that. You are an agency review team. We were not um, even allowed to talk about personnel. That led to some confusion, but the agency review team is there to review what the agency has put together for you, to have meetings with internal and external stakeholders, and to gather as much information to prepare for the incoming administration. That becomes written information in books. We have, oh my goodness, in our case, eight volumes of information on things we gathered. And then, of course, because I was coming in, I was one of those people to get briefed on the book I helped write. But that 
really, I think my main message for people to understand is the agency review teams are just that. When you, you talk about those transition books, are those basically the how-to guides of how to run an agency like NASA? No. The review team books that we put together were the answers to the questions that we asked throughout the two and a half months of meetings. I mean, large binders that included reviews of this program, its status, where it is in the budget. We, in particular, were asked for our recommendations in a couple of levels. One was day one. What do you recommend be put in place on day one as far as executive orders that would assist your agency? First 100 days, a whole other section, what are the top issues that we need to pay attention to in the first 100 days? Then we had first year and first term. In 2008-2009 transition, we had some added work that was the Recovery Act, so the stimulus bill. When that came from the Bush administration to the Obama administration, they said the incoming people can put that together. So we also put together the budget for that stimulus bill that normally you are not doing much budget work. If I may, Rich, uh, just to augment uh, Lori's excellent uh, overview of what's involved in the review of, of the agency, I think the listeners need to know that fundamentally the role of the transition team is to provide the incoming administration with enough insight, enough detail about program, budget, and so forth, that he or she that is ultimately nominated to take over the agency, and as Lori appropriately said, it was not the role of the transition team to get into personnel, instead to provide the inputs that could be useful and critical, frankly, for that individual to ensure that he or she once nominated, once confirmed, can literally hit the ground running. The other thing I'd like to emphasize is the transaction that takes place uh, early on, which is that the, the the permanent civil service of the agency, in this case NASA, provides uh, a set of uh, books. I presume today, Laurie, uh, in, in my day it was uh, written. I'm sure today it's electronic that essentially is a compilation of the programs and, and budgets and an overview of, of the personnel and so forth. In the case of NASA, not just the leadership at headquarters, but the center directors and what their responsibilities are and so forth. And that becomes your, sort of your initial research baseline from which you build uh, the analysis that Lori referred to earlier. So, what do you look for in transition team members? Lori, you talked about that, you know, once you are, are tapped with this, you, you can't tell anybody about it until it's formally announced. But I'm kind of curious as to, and I'm sure listeners are, what are you looking for in people that help you to help uh, set that first 100-day agenda, uh, deal with the incoming inbox that you're dealing with? What kind of people are you looking for to help you with that? Sure. That is a question that also, I believe, does change from administration to administration. In my case in 08, I was asked 
to reach out to four or five people who I felt would be helpful to a transition team. I wanted someone, for instance, who had been on a previous transition team and selected Alan Ladwick because he had served with Sally Ride on the transition team for the Clinton administration. You want people who are going to be able to translate what they read and hear during transmission, those books that Courtney mentioned. And by the way, NASA does a first-rate job at getting those together, which should not be a surprise to anyone, and can then interact with both internal and external stakeholders to create recommendations. I had also someone who had served on the outgoing transition team for Clinton that was someone Courtney worked well with, and therefore I knew he would work well for us. That was our chief of staff. Ed Heffernan, mm-hmm. and then I selected George Whitesides, who was at the National Space Society at the time, and I knew might be able to take a leave of absence. So that's another thing you're looking for, is someone who is not in a vested, conflicting job, which for NASA is a challenge because a lot of really good people are out in industry, and that at least in the Obama administration was not allowed. You have right. to sign a pledge that you're not going to be involved in lobbying that agency for two years afterwards. Again, in mm-hmm. our case, you have to be able to volunteer for two and a half months and go without income. None of these are very easy to find in people who really are going to have the experience to, to work on it. So it was, in my case, something that was left to me to do. Those people then were vetted by the overall transition team. And we were all set to go and working together as a team well before the actual election. And if he, if Obama had lost, we, you would never have known we were even going to be on the transition team. So it's not until they've won that you're um, announced. We were, told we were going to go in the next day. In our case, they decided, let's wait one day. Let's give them a, a day to lick their wounds, and then we'll, we'll come in. Lori, you commended NASA for the materials that they provided to you. And I'm kind of curious, again, you've talked about binders and all the different materials. I am curious, how accurate do you find those materials being given to you? Are do they, do they really get into the nitty-gritty about challenges and the problems that are there, or is it sometimes the materials you're giving you are a bit rosier than uh, what is reality? Oh, of course, NASA is not monolithic, and that is a really interesting aspect to it. I'd be interested if Courtney felt the same. Uh, <laughs> there are certain directorates and programs where they just do a great job at detailing where they are and acknowledging where there might be shortcomings. There are also programs in our case that, you know, you had two pages for a $3 billion program. Like that's, that's where, you know, you got to dig deeper. <laughs> and mm. I doubt any, anything like that is going on at this point, but that is why you have two and a half months and, and have meetings. My understanding is that there's a format now and that the GSA is much more involved in preparing 
the books for the agencies, for the incoming teams. Mm-hmm. So hopefully there's a little more consistency. I never found anything inaccurate. Let me be clear. No, no one's, you know, lying to you. It's just they might not go into the details. Yeah, if I could add to that, what we discovered, and it's human nature, right? You have people who are not engaging in deception, but they're also, in some cases, emphasis, some cases, protecting uh, their particular program and will put their particular spin on it. Now, the books, from the agency standpoint, are supposed to be empirical, fact-based. But as Laurie said, sometimes, um, you know, the, you, you, these, some of these complex programs are not as deep in, that, in, in what's provided, and that sometimes can be a red flag. And in the instance of, of our transition uh, from the Clinton to the uh, George W. Bush administration, we discovered, and when I say we, Scott Pace, who is the current head of the Space Council uh, in the in the Trump White House, he was he was my deputy on the on the transition, and we uncovered about a four and a half billion dollar overrun on space station at the time that was not volunteered to us. So we had to basically through the meetings that Lori alluded to in our own uh, due diligence did uncover a gap that needed to be uh, dealt with fairly. Uh, in the near term with, with the new administration. But uh, by and large, we found that the civil servants were uh, very cooperative, uh, disclosive by and large. And uh, at least in, in our case, uh, uh, I can say we found no evidence of the so-called uh, deep state. Uh, we, we found, in fact, very uh, patriotic and uh, public servants that were really dedicated to the national interest. But again, as I'm sure Lori can attest to as well, uh, we did find pockets of people who were uh, holding tight uh, information that we needed to uh, take our own steps to to uncover. The, the example of uh, different approaches would be JPL and Charles Alachi comes in for his meeting with us, and the Mars lander was experiencing technical problems. We'd all just sort of heard rumors about it. But he came in and said he had concerns about meeting the window. And it was clear to us that he needed and wanted to ask for an extension to the next window. And he acknowledged that would cost an extra $400 million and two years. And he needed to know if he was going to be able in the new administration have that sort of uh, support. And because I had been at NASA during some times when the Mars uh, program didn't go well because we probably rushed things, I was absolutely supportive of them taking the time. On the other hand, we had, I would say, Constellation and probably Webb Telescope. They just weren't forthcoming with their cost overruns, and that ended up being a problem, as lots of folks who follow space know. Mm-hmm. Lori, you alluded to this, as did you, Courtney, that you've been on both sides of transitions. 
you've been part of the incoming team and you've been part of the outgoing team between administrations. I am curious to hear both of your perspectives about what's the relationship like between outgoing and incoming administrations during this time period and how important is that in the handoff? Well, uh, if I may start, Laurie, I, I, I can't overstate how important it is. And I have to say that notwithstanding some of the uh, uh, concerns that people had at the time in terms of the Clinton administration handoff, you know, there were references to missing W's and keyboards and, and some other vandalism. We, we never witnessed any of that. And I can only uh, praise the support of, of the, uh, the people in the administration in helping us, including um, the administrator, uh, Dan Golden, and his staff, who really could not have been more helpful in terms of leaning forward. These are very complex undertakings. You know, just take NASA. It's, uh, you know, 18, I think at the time that I was involved, it was about a 17, roughly billion dollar, $2,000 equivalent many, many moving parts, uh, many complex uh, programs. And, and so it's a, it's a big undertaking to go in and to try to get uh, your, your hands around it. And, and so the cooperation of uh, the agency and the public servants, as well as the appointees uh, that are uh, associated with the uh, outgoing administration, that cooperation is so critical. And that's why I said earlier that, that every day that, that goes by after the election, that the, uh, the, the transition team for the incoming administration is not given full access, really comes uh, at great cost, frankly, at, at ensuring that the American people get the uh, uh, level of uh, effective transition that, 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 you know, that they deserve. Lori, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Sure. So that was my experience as Courtney was coming in with Scott on the Clinton administration, and I'm leading the policy office. Dan Golden set the intention and followed through that we were to be as open, as cooperative as possible. It did not hurt that I knew Courtney and Scott quite well previously. I remember (laughs) talking late on uh, Christmas Eve with them about some of these issues. I consider joking and leaving stuff in my office taped under my desk or something. It's a little surprising for them. But it would have all been, you know, very positive. So this is my experience. And, And honestly, I just, you know, it had been a rough, shorter transition because of the Gore-Bush election. And nevertheless, you just, I got this sense of pride because we're a country that transitions peacefully. And I used to talk about it back then and again in 2008, and I think people roll their eyes, roll Pollyanna. I think we now recognize the value of the importance of that when it's missing. So uh, in 2001, it was literally an honor and privilege to be part of a transition, even though I was outgoing. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why when I came in in 2008, I took it so seriously and felt the same. In my case, as has been widely reported, the administrator 
of NASA was not cooperative with us. But, yes, that would have been wonderful if he had, and he did. We found tell people not to share things with us, and one person was talking to us and wanted to not be seen in the hall because he was told by his boss, if you're seen talking to the transition team, it will be career-limiting. This was the kind of thing that made me crazy. It was like, do you think we're going to vote again? You know, I mean, the Obama election was quite clear. (laughs) But uh, we had a couple of briefings where people were clearly told you are not to tell them things. And finally, I just had to get realistic about it and say, you know, you you don't want to tell us now. You can tell the incoming people in, in January 21st. You know, because that that really you're not in charge before 1201 on January 20th. So I was willing to sit back. Lots and lots of people cooperated. The the people who day to day worked with us were amazing. NASA had a better transition office and more support than anyone else uh, at any of the other agencies. So it was not at all entirely negative, but it certainly was surprising not to have that cooperation, and I'm sure that is not happening now. Just to add that, and I, you know, in case the the listeners think there's too much uh, mother apple pie here, um, I'm going to pile on and, and and say that you know Lori and I have known each other for decades, and I guess we're old school, Lori, uh, because uh, we may have may have different philosophies in some cases at that point uh, uh different uh, uh partisan views and so forth but when it came to uniting uh, in terms of of doing our small part to ensure a smooth handoff uh country comes first and the other thing that united us was a passionate lifelong commitment to the space program and it's Specific, it was fortuitous that uh, Lori was so committed, as her history has proven, to really moving the ball on on the commercial space front. And under her leadership at NASA, she sure did. Arguably, you wouldn't have uh, the SpaceX and some other major ventures uh, without the level of support that that Lori and her team provided. I recall Lori when. Uh, uh, during the Obama transition that, uh, frankly, I, I offered, and she could not have been more gracious in um, our meeting and, 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 frankly, my sharing some of uh, the, the formatting and the approach that we took during the transition period. Again, uh, given our mutual views about the importance of ensuring uh, a smooth and, and effective transition on behalf of the, uh, of the American people. You both have talked about leadership and the people who you've engaged, and you've certainly and deservedly given credit to the career civil servants who help NASA do what it does. But again, key to implementing an administration's vision is having people who can enact it. What role, if any, does a transition team play in selecting and preparing new leadership to take over responsibilities at the agency? Um, sure. Uh, thanks, first of all, for all that, Courtney. That's very nice. We have 
work together through these transitions. And I remember you generously taking your time to reach out <laughs> to us. And I don't believe there's anyone who wanted to speak to the transition team, by the way, who we didn't make time for. And that mm-hmm. is, I think it's probably harder every time. On the question of the role of sort of personnel and selecting new leadership, the agency review teams, again, are for review teams. You are, I think, generally asked for recommendations on political leadership to come in, but there is a separate part of transition that leads personnel. And that's who takes your list, asks for your list. And in my case, again, they do some back and forth on it. Someone might add a person and they say, well, what do you think here? But I did no way the selection of personnel for those Senate confirmed positions. We were working with a White House liaison. We were assigned later within the period of transition to be able to recruit in some cases um, and place the politicals who we felt would be good at the agency. You know, keep in mind, out of 18,000 employees at NASA, we had about 18 political appointees. So this isn't uh, a big job. And there's a handful of positions that are very clearly politically, it's required to be a political appointee, head of legislative affairs, for instance, you need to be really advancing the administration's objectives. But there are some roles that change. Sometimes the general counsel is political and sometimes it's not. Sometimes the head of international affairs is political, sometimes it's not. And those are things you can recommend as an agency review team. You also, and I know there's confusion about this, assuming there isn't a NASA nominee in advance of the inauguration, certainly not one confirmed, you do recommend who will serve as the acting head of the agency if you have not or do not plan to ask the existing administrator to return. This was a problem in my case because not only did Mike Griffin think he could stay, it wasn't my role to tell him he couldn't (laughs) or wasn't going to be, and he stated who would be acting head of the agency in his departure. That was not his to do, and we ultimately decided to go ahead and recommend Chris Felice anyway, but it is generally, I think, a little confusing for space people that at 12.01, the people who worked for the previous president, they don't work at NASA anymore unless they've been asked to say. So the default is you should be out of the building (laughs) and there just shouldn't be confusion about that. You know, I don't think, in fact, sometimes you'll have heads of agency announce their retirement on January 20th. That's not, that's not required. You don't see cabinet heads doing that. That the default is you leave at that time unless you're asked to stay with all the political appointees which isn't very many at NASA, so it's not that uh, big of a shock to the system. And if I could add to that, uh, Rich, it's an interesting 
thread that we have to we we in the transition teams uh, have to deal with at NASA because it's such a technical agency. And I think Lori would agree. You have to be careful with the handful of politicals that you have that you not be viewed or or actually in practice have um, be unduly politicized uh, these programs. Having said that, you're dealing with a new president, uh, an administration that will have likely new priorities, new challenges. NASA, after all, is a discretionary budget. And when you're selecting your appointees or suggesting who, who might fill these limited slots, you have to take that into account, that, that individual's uh, understanding of, of the balance that you need in terms of uh, respecting the technical integrity of the, of the agency while at the same time representing uh, a new president uh, with, with uh, new, new, new priorities. So it is a, a bit of an interesting balancing act. I do want to also insert that one of the things that um, I think was an important uh, initiative in the in the 2000s was this associate administrator position that is a permanent position held by civil servant. And the idea was to give the incoming administration the option that when the administrator, deputy administrator, both of whom are, are political, of course, uh, depart no later than 12.01 p.m. on January 20th, Inauguration Day, uh, that there be an individual, this civil servant, who could step into the breach. Obviously, it's open, as Laurie uh, indicated, to the discretion of the incoming administration as to whom they prefer. But uh, it looks like at this point that uh, Laurie, that Steve Jerzyk, if, if I'm correct, is holding that associate administrator position will uh, be the acting uh, until the uh, president-elect uh, Biden uh, nominates uh, the administrator. Yeah, there's been confusion about this. I really don't think the transition team has decided. But it's Fair enough. Okay. I was going to add something earlier when uh, Lori talked about um, the openness to meeting with industry, at least in our case, it's partly driven by the severe truncated nature of the uh, transition period that we had only a, a handful of weeks. We tended to focus more on the associations than the individual companies, just bandwidth. And I getting the sense, uh, Lori, from the current uh, president-elect's transition team that they're doing the same, primarily focused on meeting with associations, which gives them the opportunity to have a one-stop shop and meet with the Aerospace Industry Association, among others, uh, rather than individuals. Because I think, as Lori can attest, if you meet uh, constantly just with the individual companies, you, you won't have time to do the uh, the hard lifting that, that she referred to earlier, which is ultimately writing the uh, the analysis and, and the transition material for the uh, incoming administration. So I just wanted to add that as a clarification point. Yeah, that is a, a difference. And I'm guessing because it's shorter, that may have, you know, as you said, driven you, maybe driving them. We we did meet with companies individually, and I I just 
for one, I probably couldn't have done any of this. I have to give a shout out to George Whitesides, who I would leave maybe the office at eight o'clock at night and I'd come in at seven in the morning and the meetings from the previous day had been written up in a book with colored tab. You know, he was just, I called him data. I don't think he slept. Um, you know, he was such a workhorse, but I really did focus on these meetings because not only did people want to be heard, but they had sometimes a willingness to say things that you might not have heard from everyone. Obviously, just just to hammer home this issue of how important these two and a half months are, if you can use as we got to do every single day of it. It benefited the whole system. It's something else, too, Rich, that your listeners might be interested in. Lori and I can perhaps share this perspective. So what in, in the formal transition, you're actually afforded an office in, in the agency, and that's where you could meet with your team and, frankly, have uh, uh, as necessary discrete conversations with with certain of uh, officials in the agency and the material that you were compiling uh you would bring the material back to the GSA uh authorized office for transition the actual transition headquarters in our case uh, downtown uh actually across the street from the World Trade Center at World uh, Bank at the t- at the time and there was an amazing phenomenon, which was that you'd look around at these cubicles, these sea of cubicles, and they'd have handwritten signs, National Security Council, State Department, Commerce Department, uh, Pentagon. And it really was quite phenomenal to watch the, the, essentially the emergence of an entire federal government. And, and I was... Uh, took great pride in, in how that the birthing, if you will, of, of uh, a new administration was really quite something to, uh, to watch. And we had, in our case, uh, uh, Rich and Lori, a, a huge whiteboard that would basically score how cooperative the agencies uh, were being. And NASA, frankly, uh, usually got a pretty, pretty high score. Although, as I mentioned, there were a few oversights that we had to uh, to deal with, but it was just fascinating to watch uh, the the emergence, as I said, the birthing of a whole new uh, administration. Both of you have talked about uh, leadership, and you both have had the fortune of working for and working with a lot of different NASA administrators. With both your experience transition hats on, but then also as observers and operators and practitioners, I would be, I think it'd be great for our listeners to hear from both of you. What are the qualities that an incoming Biden administration needs to look for in a new NASA administrator? I am not going to advise the Biden administration at this point on that. My view is the transition team is got a good handle on their recommendations. I do want to follow up on what Courtney said, because that is one of the things that has evolved over time, but I felt the same way. And 
when you, as the lead of transition, have an office with the other transition team leads, it is particularly important because that is where you are seeing, and I'll turn this into answer to your question, Rich, the administration's priorities taking shape, if you will. So we had graduated to offices, Courtney, from your cubicle experience by 2008. I shared an office yeah. with Tom Khalil. He was leading the OSTP transition team. Next mm. to us was Jim Kohlenberger, who was leading NOAA. On the other side, Sally Erickson reading, doing NSF. I think those are actually switched. We had our role, which were the science and technology agencies. DARPA and FCC were across the hall. And every week we had meetings, no whiteboard on cooperation. NASA, unfortunately, would have been the lowest uh, we had. Um, <laughs> yeah. We did discuss these overarching, and in our case, science and technology advances that the Obama administration was going to feel strongly about investing in technology and innovation, for instance, to advance the economy. That was something that I took into the team as we worked into our recommendations. Obviously, the Biden administration has these as well. They are quite clear this time. And I think NASA would do well to be a part of those broader conversations about how, because NASA really is a tool for this nation to advance its objectives. And we have geopolitical objectives. You know, we're talking a lot about that these days. We have climate change. We have um, the kinds of things that a new administrator should be able to work with their counterparts in the cabinet and so forth to allow NASA to be a bigger part, I think, of the discussion. The more NASA is separated and not seen as contributing to the overall policy goals for the nation, I think the less they're going to be uh, useful. Yeah, and, and it, let me just add to that. I, I um Although I'm, we mentioned earlier that the transition was prescribed from getting into personnel, Scott Pace and I did note in our looking at the history of NASA leadership that for over half a century it had been exclusively a white male domain up on the ninth floor. And that seemed... Um, really out of step with uh, the state of the nation, the demographics. And we pushed in our transition recommendation uh, for appropriate uh, diversity. There was no shortage of very, very able men and women of, of color to take on that uh, formidable job. And I take pride in the fact that uh, Fred Gregory, who was a pioneering uh, black astronaut uh, shuttle commander was uh, appointed, uh, confirmed as, as deputy administrator. And um, Lori herself and subsequent administration was uh, one of the uh, first women to take on the deputy administrator position. As a father of two grown uh, executive daughters, I'm hopeful that uh, uh, this uh, incoming president will consider uh, uh, the first woman, frankly, administrator, 
deputy administrator. Certainly, uh, I think that would reflect uh, both the changing demographic uh, and, and an incredible number of very competent uh, woman candidates. If I may be so bold, I think you're interviewing one of them on the phone, uh, Rich, uh, that could uh, provide a, an important uh, pool of talent and be a, an enormously important role model for uh, for young ladies in, in, in uh, this country that may be looking at a career related to, uh, to aerospace. If I may be allowed, I, I'd like to say that although it is perilous waters to speculate on candidates for that job, I do think that my sense of having worked with uh, administrators over many decades is that individual, he or she, has to be capable day one of walking in and scaling to the complexity of a NASA. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, it's not just space, but aeronautics. You've got a lot of uh, science and and, uh, and and so forth involved with that uh, agency, and uh, budgets are important. Your political moxie, ability to uh, work with the uh, uh, Congress and the oversight committees, and interact with the uh, uh, sometimes interesting challenges of the White House West Wing oversight, the Office of Management and Budget, and so forth. There's a lot that goes into uh, that portfolio. And um, I, I, uh, there's no shortage of candidates who could take on that position. Uh, and, and I just hope that, uh, you know, and, and have every expectation that this incoming administration will, will choose accordingly. Last question to wrap up. What's been a great conversation. What guidance or words of wisdom would you offer to either the current transition team or future transition teams? to help them in their job? <laughs> oh, I think lots of us have given lots of advice for this transition team. I, I guess I would uh, agree, Courtney, I think made a good last point about the necessity and the complexity of NASA because it is primarily filled with career civil servants you really do need to have those people on board and understanding your approach. I think the agency review team itself is gathering information, as we've said, not in involved much in personnel. And the transition itself often for NASA goes longer because you don't have the new leadership confirmed. But I think it's really important for the transition teams to be close with the science and technology teams from the other agencies to make sure NASA is um, understanding its role as part of the administration. It takes a lot of time for these transitions. And as we saw with the last president, I don't think he had his administrator for nearly two years and a deputy longer than that. These are these are things that ideally should be done more quickly. And so I would urge transition teams to, as I think they have been doing uh, this time for sure, getting getting their work done in a productive way and being a part of the overall national policy discussion. Courtney, 
final words? Yeah, I would very much agree with everything Laurie just said, and I, I, I really think the the current makeup of the of the uh, Biden team is very 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 credible, and uh, the leadership uh, brings uh, a lot of credibility, technical credibility, experience with the agency, and I I would only say that uh, listening, truly listening to uh, the concerns of the uh, people that are managing the programs uh, is critical and ensuring that uh, they're comfortable in conveying, um, you know, what their expectations and again, concerns. Frankly, in our case, it, it, it took uh, a couple of months to develop the, the trust once we were in the minister, once we were in the agency, so that some of the uh, groups that have been working on Mars architectures and so forth, who've been sort of in a stealth mode, came out of the woodwork and began to, to brief us. So building that credibility is so critical. But my sense is looking at the uh, backgrounds of the people in the current president-elect's transition team, they, they have what it takes to uh, establish that. And I, I do want to reinforce Lori's point that uh, speed is really important. I think dragging out the nomination and ultimately confirming the, the NASA head for what traditionally has been six months, sometimes up to a year plus. I, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm hoping we won't witness that again, that I realize the incoming administration has a breathtaking set of, of, of challenges, but I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, they'll, they'll get to the uh, NASA leadership issue uh, sooner than later. And with that, Lori and Courtney, thank you very much for both of your perspectives here. Um, We appreciate that. We appreciate what you have done for the space community. Space Foundation very much values the friendship and the relationship in the council you've offered us over the past number of years and looks forward to continuing that work with you. And with that, that's going to be a wrap up with this Space for You podcast, looking at transition. Uh, again, want to thank Lori Garver and Courtney Stad for sharing their experience and expertise with us. Please stay tuned for more Space for You podcasts coming in 2021. Uh, if we have seen anything in t- 2020, it was a great space year, and 2021 is also shaping up to be another stellar year. And as always, follow us on our social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as our Space Foundation websites, because at the Space Foundation, we will always have space for you. Thank you.